It's a, a beautiful prayer in whatever form we hear it. And the perfect prayer uh, to introduce um, any talk in this series that we're doing on the Lord's Prayer. Um, we're spending these five weeks together sort of camped out in what I think is the single most significant, uh, single most beautiful, single most important piece of Christian spirituality that Jesus ever bequeathed to us. This, this prayer that he uh, formed for us and taught for us and, um, and taught us to recite that we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we talked a couple of Sundays ago about how we enter into the prayer, how we address this God who has invited us into relationship with him, because that's really what this prayer is all about. The prayer is about relationship with God, which is just simply another way of saying being lovingly devoted to him, which is just another way of saying how we live our lives in relationship with him in the world. And Jesus says, when you, when you come to God in prayer, recognize that the God who is inviting you into relationship is a God who is infinitely loving and good and caring and patient and kind as a, as a heavenly parent would be, a God who is involved and invested and attentive and who would do anything for you and who would give anything for you, the God who also happens to be seated on the throne of the universe, who is strong and capable and powerful and sovereign and in control. Jesus says, when you come to God in relationship, recognize that this is the God who wants to relate to you, a God who loves you like an infinite, perfect parent who also happens to be in control of everything that happens in the universe. And so when you come to him in prayer, we said, the primary thing that we pray, maybe you could say the only thing that we pray, is that God's name would be hallowed. That God would show up in our world, in our lives. He would be active among us in such a way that he would show the world who he is. This kind and good and beautiful and loving and just and generous heavenly parent. He would show himself how beautiful he really is. And then in, um, in showing himself for how beautiful he is, people would respond by worshiping him. That's what it means, hallowed be your name. May you show up and show off who you are in such a way that people would worship you and love you and adore you and be devoted to you. And that is ultimately what we pray for when we pray. Everything else is built on top of that. And so Jeff talked to us last week about some of what gets built on top of that. This prayer that says, your kingdom Come, may you move in such a way that you would fill the world with your beauty and peace and joy and life and love and abundance and healing and hope and that you would turn this world into a place of peace and rest and community and hope. That's uh, what kingdom is. It's the way things would be if God were allowed to be in charge. And as a part of that, we pray for more than just that God's kingdom would come, you know, in Ukraine, in Russia, or Syria, or in North Korea, where they executed 33 people last week just for being Christians. Um, 
We pray that God's kingdom would come not just over famine and war and slavery and poverty. We pray that it would come more in our lives over our families and in our marriages and in our friendships and in our loneliness that his his kingdom would come in our illnesses and our mental and emotional and physical struggles in the, in the brokenness that marks our life that God's kingdom would flood into. But it's more than just that. It's not that just his kingdom would come, but that his will would be done, not just around me, but in me, through me. That I would live a life of loving devotion to him in my thoughts and my actions and my attitudes and my words and my deeds. And that in my commitment to doing his will, no matter the cost, that he would do his will through me. And his kingdom would be able to come into other people's lives because of me. That's, that's what it is that we pray for when we come to God in relation when we want out of loving devotion to him when we want what God wants. We want to be his will-doing people so that we can be a part of his kingdom coming reality so that his beauty and goodness and, and justice and power and love would be seen by everybody so that people would run to him and not from him and, and love and adore him as their heavenly parent. That's... What Jesus says is the core of what we pray in whatever we pray for. But Jesus goes on in, in a verse that we're going to look at this morning. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 11, Jesus goes on and he now gives to us the first thing that we pray for us. Instead of this is now Heavenly Father you, now this is Heavenly Father we. And in Matthew chapter 6 verse 11, he says, give us this day... Or give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. I think this is my favorite request in the entire of the Lord's entirety of the Lord's Prayer, not just because it's finally about me instead of being about something that's not me, but specifically because it's about bread. And I adore bread. When my oldest sister-in-law uh, married into our family, over 20 years ago, whatever it was. She nicknamed us alternatingly the barbecue family and the bread family because those were the two primary food groups that we observed at that time in my family's existence because we would not eat a meal that was not accompanied by bread. If there was not bread on the table, we would just wouldn't eat the meal because meals came with bread. That's how you eat Meals, that's still actually how I live today. I did a brief survey of my own home today and discovered one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different forms of bread in my house today on the countertop. Today I found like crusty rolls and there's pita bread, some whole wheat tortillas, some white tortillas, some non bread. There's some sugar maple loaf, which is unbelievable. There's some flax and chia, whole grain, stone meal, whatever loaf. That like we just are, we're a household that is loaded with bread all the time. And actually lately my wife's been getting into this kind of thing. She found this cookbook. It's like baking artisanal bread in five minutes a day. It was like God's, it came down from heaven and landed in our kitchen. It was unbelievable. This actually isn't, my wife didn't bake this loaf. She didn't have time. So I bought this from the grocery store. It's just another excuse to buy bread. But, but, but we've just been, we, I just love bread. 
We're a culture that thrives on bread. It's the most basic, I think, form of food that we eat uh, most consistently. I did an inventory check on a local grocery store. 500 and different, 510 different items under the heading bread. We are a culture that loves our bread. But it begs the question then, how do people like us with access to 510 different kinds of bread at the group. How do we pray, give us today our daily bread? Ancient culture, actually much like my house, <laughs> um, ate every meal with bread, but not in the sense that we did, not in that every meal came with a side dish of garlic pan bread that was like smothered in cheese and melted garlic butter. And, oh, it's so delicious. Um, no, in, in, in the very real and literal sense that they ate their meals with bread. That was the only way they knew how to eat. When you sat down at the ancient dinner table, um, you were faced not with a plate and a knife and a fork, but with a loaf of flat bread. And you would eat by, by tearing off a piece of bread and, and dipping it into the bowl in the center of the table, the common bowls that everybody shared. And you would dip it into the hummus or you would dip it into the meat or into the sauces or any of the other, or the, the yogurt dip or whatever it was that was in front of you. In the olive oil, you would, you would take your bread and you would dip it into the sauce and then you would put the food in your mouth. And then you would rip off another piece and you would dip it into another bowl and you would, you would eat that piece of bread. I just can't get enough bread. But this is literally how you ate the meal. That bread in the ancient world wasn't a side dish. It was your fork and knife. It was literally how you got food from the bowl to your mouth. It was how you ate. In fact, it, it itself wasn't really considered food. Um, it was how you eat food. If you had nothing else to serve on the table, you would put a bowl of salt. So just so you had something to dip your bread in. In the ancient world, when Jesus says to a culture steeped in poverty, give us this day our daily bread, he is talking about a core, basic means of human survival. He's talking about God meeting basic human need. In effect, what God is saying is, what Jesus is saying is, in teaching us to pray, he said, I want you to pray like this. God, I want to be your will-doing person so that your kingdom can be coming, so that people can see how good and beautiful and powerful and just and loving you are, so that they can run to you instead of running from you and love you and, and worship you. I want to be that person. But if I'm going to be devoted to living my life for that purpose, I need you to be devoted to making sure I have what I need. that I'm fed and I'm clothed, that I'm healthy and I'm safe, that I have a place to work and I have a, a place to sleep, that I have a way to get around. I'm counting on you, God, to, to let me live in a society under good government and that's at peace and not at war. I want, I'm counting on you, God, to, to give me a stable family and a supportive circle of friends. I'm counting on you, God, to give me enough money to make the ends meet at the end of the month. God, if I'm going to be devoted to you, I need you to be devoted to me to make sure that I have everything that I need. That is what Jesus is saying 
When he says, I want you to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I want you to realize that you are coming to God, asking him for the basic needs of human life. One level, it seems like a very simple prayer request. God, give us what we need to survive, to make sure we have everything we need. But the more I thought about it, and the more I reflected on this simple prayer request, the more I realized that it is more complex and nuanced and revolutionary than it seemed to me at first. If you, if you understand this prayer request, it'll revolutionize the way you think about yourself and your life. It'll revolutionize the way you think about God. It'll revolutionize the way you think about community and the world and justice. I mean, think about this. Think about this, that Jesus teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. He doesn't teach us to pray, give us this day our daily cake. Give us today our daily chocolate. Give us today our daily coffee. Those are things you can live without. Jesus is saying you come to God and you pray not for the things you can live without, not for the wants. You come to God and you pray for the things you can't live without. It's not give us today our daily motorcycle. Give us today our daily pay raise. Give us today our daily bigger house or whatever it is that you would pray for. Give us today our daily boyfriend. Whatever it is that you would pray. It's not for the stuff that you want. I mean, those, that stuff's fine. It's fine to have those things, but that's not what the point of a life of prayer is. It's not to get what you want. It's to get what you Need so that you can be a God's will doing kingdom coming person that his name can be hallowed as our heavenly father. What do you need to be able to live that way? It's interesting, even the word daily kind of communicates this. There's some dispute about what the word um, really means, but it either means, in essence, sufficient or enough. Give us enough bread. Or it means Give us bread for the coming day. God, give us what we're going to need to survive tomorrow. In effect, you're, you're coming in prayer to God the way the writer of Proverbs chapter 30 comes to God. He says this in, in verse 7. He says, give me, God, neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily Bread, in Hebrew, the bread that I need. Give me only what I need. Don't give me any more or any less. Just give me only what I need. He says, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is my God? He says, I recognize the spiritual danger of having too much. I don't want too much. Because if you have too much stuff, you start to think you don't need God. You start to think you can do it on your own because you've got money. I don't want that. I, I don't want to wander away from you because I have too much stuff. But he says, or that I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. He says, but if you give me too little, I might have to make dishonorable choices in terms of how to make ends meet at the end of the month. And, and God, the whole point of my life is to honor you is that your name would be hallowed and I might find myself dishonoring you. So God, don't give me too little and don't give me too much. Give me sufficient Give me just enough. That's all. Any more could be danger to me. You give me what you deem to be enough, and I, I will learn to be content with that. In Philippians 4, Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I know how to live in plenty, and I know how to live when I have nothing. I know how to live in a spirit of contentment with what I have, no matter what I have, not wanting any more than I have. And that's through the strength that Christ provides. You need Christ more than you need cash, is Jesus' point. Give us this day our daily bread. Just give us what we need, no more and no less than the bare minimum of what we need. I want to have just enough. You start to pray that way, and that'll revolutionize your relationship with God. You see, the first word in the prayer request is give. Give us our bread. We don't think about bread in terms of give. When, when we sit down to pray for our bread, when we say grace at the beginning of the meal, we don't, we don't say give us. We say thank you that you've given us. Thanks for the bread. And even at that, I sometimes wonder how much we really mean it. 20 years ago, Bart Simpson sat down to say grace and said, dear God, we bought all this with our own money, so thanks for nothing. Exactly. Right, this is kind of the spirit that I find alive in me. Look, I worked hard and I studied hard and I got to where I am, not by accident, but because I worked at it. I was persistent and hardworking. I have a work ethic. I took advantage of the opportunities that were presented to me and I kicked open the door of opportunity when they weren't presented to me. I've worked hard to make myself what I am so that I can live comfortably and have what I have. And if I need any more, I'll just work overtime and earn a little extra and go and buy it. I don't need to pray, give me daily bread because I already have nine kinds of bread sitting in my home. It's a radically different perspective than the perspective of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 4, it says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Paul says, everything you have is a gift. I know you think you went to the store and you bought it, but everything you have is a gift. There's not, nothing, there's not a thing that you have that God didn't give you. You didn't earn any of it. I know you are the way you are, you know, successful or whatever, but um, if you grew up in a stable home, or you survived the instability of your home in a way that allowed you to become who you are, you didn't earn that, you didn't do that, that was a gift. If you were spared in your childhood from debilitating, or your adulthood from debilitating trauma, or you were somehow able to find healing in the midst of your debilitating trauma, that was a gift. You didn't earn that, you didn't do that, that was a gift. If you had access to first world opportunity and first world education, if you had someone who opened doors for you, or someone who took you under their wing, somebody who decided to mentor you and teach you, that was a gift. If you had strength to continue to work and study hard, if you had the intellect that allowed you to understand the information, if you had the gifts that impressed a future employer so that they gave you a job and then gave you a promotion and gave you opportunity, if you grew up in a country that had a stable government and was at peace and had a, had a 
relatively flourishing economy. You didn't do any of those things. You didn't earn them. They were a gift. The reason you are where you are right now is only because of what God has given you. And so, yes, even we who have everything that money has to offer come back and say, God, I my life is utterly dependent on you. Would you give me today, please, the things that I need in order to continue to survive and thrive as a, as a human being? It reminds us to pray this prayer three times a day as the early church did. It reminds us that we live our lives in radical dependence on God, that everything we have is a gift, which means that we have to trust God. We don't like to trust God, but we have to trust God. When I read this, give us this day our daily bread, it reminds me of the Exodus story. After centuries of slavery, God leads Israel out of Egypt, the 10 plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and Moses and let my people go. And they end up wandering for 40 years in the desert of the, of the Sinai Peninsula around the Saudi Arabia area. And every day for those 40 years, God rained, it says in the Bible, bread from heaven into the camp where Israel was camped. And he instructed the Israelites to go out every morning and to gather the manna, it was called, and to gather just enough for food for that day. God says, just take what you need for today, and tomorrow's a new day. Go out and gather what you need for that day, and then the next day I'll provide for you again and gather what you need for that day, but you have to trust me that I'll provide you every day. He says, do not take enough for two days. There were some Israelites who, didn't, who got jittery about trusting. I don't want to trust God. I want to make sure I've got some reserve. I got made sure I got to, I've got some, you know, stashed away. I got to make sure that I'm ready just in case God doesn't show up one of these days. And so they collected enough for two days and they kept some in their tents. And it says on the second day, it was rotted and spoiled and filled with maggots because you see, the point is the excess you're not supposed to stash the excess. You're not supposed to create for yourself your own safety net. You're supposed to trust that God is going to continue to provide enough for that day. That's how this works. Now, it's not to say that it's wrong to save. Save for education, save for retirement, to have a, an emergency fund or whatever. The Bible says we have, is, saving is a part of being responsible with your finances. In fact, part of the Exodus story, God says, the one day you're supposed to collect twice as much as Friday because there won't be any manna on the Sabbath. I don't want you working on the Sabbath. And some people didn't listen to God and they only collected enough for one day and the next day they went hungry because they didn't save the way God had said to save. I'm not saying that we're not supposed to save. What I'm saying is it's not wrong to save. It is wrong to trust in your finances as your social safety net. It is wrong to put your security in your work in your ability, in the bottom line. It's wrong to trust cash instead of Christ for your provision. And you know in your spirit when you've crossed the line from trusting God to trusting the cash, to what, trusting what you've stashed away. You, know, you, you gotta learn to trust that God is going to provide that our lives are utterly dependent on him but he is faithful and loving and good and just and he provides us every day with enough 
for what we need for that day. It radically transforms your dependence, your relationship with your stuff. It radically transforms your relationship with God. It radically transforms your relationship with other people. The second you realize that the prayer is not give me today my daily bread. The prayer is give us today our daily bread. We pray not as a me, but as an us and an our. We pray in community, with community, for community. The kingdom life is not an individual thing, it's a communal thing. Your life with God ought to be personal, intensely personal, but it can never be private. It's always common property with those around you. We do this as an us. It's not just you and God, it's you and 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 me and all of us and God together. All of you at your location, all of you across all of our locations, all of you in every location around the world where people name the name of Jesus Christ, we pray this as an us. In fact, the very image of praying for food suggested in the ancient world, food equaled community. For us, we have this utilitarian view of food. We eat food in order to be, because of health reasons, or we eat food for hunger reasons, or we eat food to have enough calories to do the activities that we need. We eat food for utilitarian reasons. That's why we so often multitask when we're eating. We, we plan a business lunch. Yes, we have to eat, but we might as well be, we can at least be productive while we're doing it. We'll do business while we have lunch or we eat in the van on the way to hockey practice just like nature intended. <laughs> we eat alone all the time. We eat at our desk, we eat in front of the TV, we eat over the sink, we eat by ourselves. For us, food is just about getting calories in the ancient world, food was about community, that to eat a meal was to eat a meal with people. It was eating a meal together communicated friendship and inclusion and togetherness and all the stuff we talked about in January and February. To eat a meal together was to be with people that you could laugh with and cry with and do life with. It was about being in community with people, but not just community, interdependent community, community where people depended on each other. When you think about the people who were involved in simply in the production of this one loaf of bread, the community that it required, there was a, there was a farmer somewhere and a miller and there was a baker and there was a packager, and there was a distributor, and there was a shipper, a transporter, and there was everybody involved in the petroleum industry, and there was a receiver, and there was a retailer, and then there's the person who signs my check, and the person who sold me my car so that I can drive to the store and pay for the bread. This bread is a community effort. I cannot, I cannot eat bread except in community with others. We do this as interdependent community, but it's even deeper than that because we do it in responsibility to each other in community. It's not just that we exist together in community as people who can count on each other as community. We're responsible to each other in the community so that if we pray uh, Lord, give us our daily bread and God gives me nine loaves of bread and he gives you none. 
God gives me two or 20 or 200 or 2,000, God has answered our prayers. Because there's enough for everybody. The church father, Basil the Great, said it this way in his sermon on this text a couple hundred years after Jesus was born. He says, the bread that is spoiling in your house, it belongs to the hungry. And the shoes that are mildewing under your bed belong to those who have none. And the clothes that are stored away in your trunk belong to those who are naked. And the money depreciating in your bank account belongs to the poor. What you have is not your own. God did not give you these things. He gave you these things for all of us. That's why in the early church it said that no one considered their possessions to belong to themselves alone. They held everything in common and therefore no one had need among them. They were community, in community, interdependent as community and responsible to the community to make sure everyone had enough. Paul says, 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world, which is surely all of us, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, arrogant in thinking we did it ourselves, or to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich but in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul says you want to live life that is truly life. It is not found in the accumulation of bread. It's found in the distribution of bread of taking what God has so graciously given you, that which you did not earn, but which he has provided you, and sharing it with those who have none. Give all of us today what we need to continue to survive and thrive as your will-doing, kingdom-coming people so that your name will be hallowed and people will see how good and beautiful and loving and just you are and they will run to you to love you rather than running from you in fear. That's what we pray, a prayer that revolutionizes our sense of ourselves and our relationship with God and our relationship with each other and our relationship with the world. And I want to give you the chance now to pray your own version of that prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Normally I close these talks with prayer, but today you're going to close this talk in prayer. Quietly, silently, in your heart. You're not going to pray out loud. You're not going to pray with anybody else. You're just going to pray in your spirit. And here's what I, here's what I want you to Some of you have prayers, the daily bread kind of prayers. You need God to provide you with enough. And I want you to use this time to come to God as your loving heavenly father who sits on the throne of heaven and say, God, I want to be your will doing kingdom coming person. Give me what I need to be that person for you. But there are others who, who don't need that right now but you're sitting in community with people who do and I want you to take this time and to pray, God, would you give so-and-so whatever daily bread it is that they need for today?
And as you sit and pray for somebody else and for their need for bread, I want you to pray something else. I want you to pray, God, and you, I want you to show me the bread that I have currently that can be a part of meeting the need that they have currently so that we can pray with integrity that God would give all of us today our daily bread. Spend this time in prayer.